0: Persistent and Nasty Podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in Nasty, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again, We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents, you can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription you heard that right 12 months free if you follow the link in the description box for casting directors you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout Hello you lovely lot and welcome to another episode of Persistent and Nasty Podcast. This week is a Louise solo episode. Louise chats to the amazing Kim Chapman. Kim is an actress, model, vintage stylist, entrepreneur and international showgirl. What an amazing female. What an amazing human she is. And I can't wait for you all to hear this episode. So I'm not going to talk too much so that you can just enjoy Kim and Louise's chat. I do want to say a couple of things. Um, First of all, thank you to everybody who has been downloading and commenting and liking and sharing the podcast. We appreciate it so much. It's fabulous. I also want to thank everybody who has donated already to our PayPal account. Um, In the last week, we have been overwhelmed and grateful thankful and just humbled by your generosity and um, it's down to you the listeners and uh, the, the lovely community that you're creating uh, thank you so much you have managed already in a week to we'll be able to keep the podcast going for at least another year so thank you it's a uh, really humbling and we are truly touched and I'm probably going to get a bit emotional Um, so thanks it sounds lame, thanks. doesn't feel like it covers it, but really we mean it from the bottom of our hearts. You can donate to the PayPal link. The PayPal link is in the description box. In the description box? What am I? On YouTube? In the episode box. Is it a box? I don't know. Who knows? In the episode description, you'll find the PayPal link. Also, it is on all of our social media. As always, it is Twitter at persistent nasty guys i got it right i still paused i got it right instagram at persistent and nasty facebook persistent and nasty and you can always reach out to us on email persistent and nasty at gmail.com remember to sign up for the newsletter for all exciting announcements we don't send them out very often i promise your inbox will not be flooded um thank you that's enough rambling from me let's get into the episode with louise and kim as always, guys, sit back, get a wee cup of tea, relax, and enjoy.
1: Okay, uh, welcome Persistent and Nasty listeners. This is Louise here this week, and I have the great pleasure of talking to an old friend. Very old friend, in fact. I was just thinking this morning, uh, how long have I known you? I think it was like we met in 2003 or four or something Yeah, ridiculous like that.
2: Ridiculous, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and now I'm just delighted to chat to you because you have such a varied and interesting career. So, uh, Kim Chapman, actress, entrepreneur, uh, cabaret star, model, (laughs) businesswoman like just, you have so many strings to your bow. So I'm going to shut up and let you tell our listeners who you are, what you do, what you're all about.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a joy to be here. Um, yeah, so um, I always find it difficult to describe myself in one quick sentence. <laughs> um, so I guess um, I a performer is, is the right term. <laughs> you know, I mean, it covers yeah. all the bases, but um, yeah, I, a born performer, I suppose. Um, the first sort of performance that I, the first performance style of acting is where I started, young, quite young. Um, and I've continued to that to do that from the age of ten till now, um, in some form or another every yeah, every year of my life. I've continued to do it. Um but there was a fork in the road when I became uh sort of young woman <laughs> so late teens early 20s um I uh, fell into the world of burlesque and cabaret um because it's very glitzy and attractive of mm-hmm. course and <laughs> um, that was not actually you know a, a career move choice that I made I just just was there at the right time I think it was like when everything was kicking off with that sort of thing and I rode the wave and I have continued to ride it till this day And it's been a massive part, and my Missy Malone um, character. She she's sort of taken the forefront of my life for the last fifteen years, and I continue to act um, as Kim. (coughs) But she's sort of she is like not the one that people know more, I suppose, when they when they when they see me. Mm. Um, And yeah, I'm very sort of grateful for both both avenues of my career. Uh, basically, but yeah, that's the main sort of performance areas that I work in. I remember
1: meeting you uh, back in the day, and that's that those early days of uh, the burlesque and cabaret uh, yes. revival in popularity. Um, uh, we were both performing at a big club, uh, Club Noir, may yes. it rest in peace.
2: I don't think it's with us anymore. I don't think so, no. Um, big, big I think it was most Scottish. Lesson cabaret performers started I would say it's definitely it was a hub of us all it sure was and it
1: was a lot of fun I remember having a lot of fun but I remember you so vividly because I just remember how professional and determined and um, put together you were like I remember being shocked that I think I remember at the time you saying that it was one of your early performances like you'd not long started I think is that right and I just remember being yeah, really, really surprised by that because I was like, really? You seem like you've been doing this for
2: years. Yeah, yeah um, it would have been because I was only with Club Noir for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I think it was right in that first year that I met you. But I suppose that confidence that I had, that uh, arrogance that young people have sometimes, um, came from, yeah, just the fact that since 10, I'd been on a stage. Mm-hmm. So, oh, have I lost you? No, you've just frozen. Um, so, yeah, I just had sort of stage experience, I
1: suppose. Yeah. But in it's, some- it's funny that you're, you're sounding almost apologetic for that. And I don't think you should be. I think it's like as women, I think particularly in this industry, we get that a lot. It's like, oh, no, I was being a bit arrogant. You weren't. You were confident and rightly so because you were exceptionally talented. You were one of the best performers there. Oh, and okay. um, you should own that. And that's not arrogance. That's like belief in yourself that's rightly placed. So I say on it. Um, and you were you were experienced in circus. You'd done some circus training, hadn't you?
2: Yes, yes. So I've tried to make notes, just so I remind myself the years. So 2002, there's <laughs> so, so, so too many things in my brain. Um, 2002, I uh, joined a circus group in Glasgow and trained for two years with them Um and it was like, a, it was a, it was a government scheme. I don't really know. I can't remember the, the details, but it was, it was funded by Glasgow. um I think some arts funding mm. and to train some kids like to performance level in circus skills. And I, yeah, I did that in 2002 and that's what led me into the sort of Burlesque and Cabaret because it was a, because I found out about the circus um opportunity through my youth theatre. So I was in a youth theatre in um, West Lothian Youth Theatre, which I believe now is called Firefly. Um, so it's still going, but it's changed its name. And I joined that youth theatre in in 1995. And it was through them that they gave me the opportunity to go and and learn circus skills because they thought it might be interesting to add to the young performers sort of um, experiences. And that's where I was introduced to other things that were happening in the performance world, performance arts and things like that. And I met a few few people at that time who I still know now through the Burlesque Cabaret circuit. And um, yeah, it just opened my eyes to other things and other worlds. And I fitted in quite well to it because I enjoyed the sort of extravagance, the costumes the, the music, everything. And performance in any way, yeah, even though it wasn't, particularly acting or speaking it was yeah very much my thing and I enjoyed it a lot so yeah it was yeah I just all fell into place really. And Kim Chapman is who you Mm -hmm. are and Missy
1: Malone is your character your burlesquing uh, cabaret character. Um, Yes. Did Kim always want to be an actor I was always sort of on the side of because it feels like your blessing and cabaret just sort of took off and like you say you rode that wave yes as, as acting always been something that you wanted to come back to because you're, yes. you're really focusing on that
2: right now aren't you yes yes it always has been um from as long as as long as I can remember yeah I mean if you look through any of my old school you know books where you had to write what you wanted to be and all this stuff I wanted to be an actress that's what I wanted to be um I think the difficulty was that I came from a small town and I went to a small town school and my parents didn't know really how to how to do that, like how to help yeah. me with that. We didn't you know have a lot of money, we didn't have those opportunities really readily available in Livingston. But my mum did the very best, like and she really is the reason that I do what I do because she pushed me, like, yeah, she just found the one new theatre that was available in my area and put me in it that I mean I'm talking the day I was old enough she was phoning them constantly and going well she's not quite 10 yet can she come and they're like no it's going to be 10 and yeah you know so I went to dancing before that she was just trying to get me to you know she knew that I wanted to perform so I went to dancing from like even younger I don't know five or whatever and then 10 I went to youth theatre and dropped the dancing and um she put me in summer schools with like youth theaters in different areas in Glasgow and Edinburgh and various places, and just really tried to support the thing that I seemed to want to do, yeah and
1: she's such it. a legend
2: dear mum she's she's so amazing she's so amazing, and she was like my right you know champion and she still is and um that's what I always wanted to do, yeah, and at school, we didn't even have drama as a as a as a subject mm. in my I had yeah. to go to another high school because, again, my darling mother um, <laughs> talked to the headmaster and said, you know, she thought it was unfair that they didn't offer drama as, a, um, as an option, as a hire at my school. Um, and she basically made a case and I went to a different school on a Thursday afternoon. I went to Bathgate, went across the way um, to do my hire in another school um, so that I could do drama and that was all my mum um and then yeah as as the teens happened um yeah I was only just 18 when I fell into burlesque and cabaret and um it just whisked me away it was the right time and there was a lot of opportunities and they were paying money you know they were like paying money and then by the time I was 21 I was like at the height of that like making a lot of money you know I bought my house doing burlesque it's like it's you know I can't you know a lot of people might turn their nose up at it but I can't Thank it enough. I've travelled the world. I've done a lot of shit with. Oops, sorry, with that. No, fine. You can swear. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to be taken seriously. I find as an actress um, when people know about it, and that's what I sort of struggle with a little bit because when I say that I'm doing something with acting, a play, or I've been cast in something like a straight role, mm-hmm. um, it's like people just don't believe that that can be a thing like if you, you're yeah. one or the other and that's what i found a little bit tricky navigating so that's i interesting. suppose, that, yeah trying to just split the brands um a little bit
1: which makes total sense but i'm yeah. sort of interested in that because it's it's a form of performance um it takes a lot of work you know um i have been in those in, in the early parts of my own career as a performer in rooms with cabaret and burlesque performers it takes a lot of work. There's a lot of money yeah. and time and effort that goes into it, and it's it, yeah, it's as valid a bit of performance as anything else. Um, and I'm intrigued uh, when people say they turn their nose up at it, or, or people describe that as an experience. What do you think? Where do you think that comes
2: from? What do you think? That's I'm from? not sure. I don't know what it is. Is it because it's low brow art? Is like because it's like a little bit trashy? Because it mm. involves nudity? Because it is um done in nightclubs like I don't know to be perfectly honest but there is there is a bit of I've been judged harshly on it Mm -hmm. and it's that thing it's that sort of I suppose I don't know if it's that relevant nowadays but back in the day it's like if you had any sort of job like that if you're looking right back to like the 50s if any of those like actresses had posed for a magazine or something like you know famous example madeline had done a playboy spread or whatever they tried to like bring her down Mm -hmm. as an actress because she'd done that and it's like to me all the things i've done i'm not ashamed of any of it i'm proud and i feel like i perform on a well not right now not in covid times but (laughs) perform on stage every week of my life it's like yeah i'm doing something right but I also enjoy being challenged, so I'd like I like playing other roles. I don't want yeah. to do the same role forever, which is how I sort of sometimes feel because I'm always this character, and I'd yeah. like to I'd like to be challenged, really.
1: It's, you know something? I'm maybe getting a little bit academic here, but there's something mm-hmm. really hypocritical about it because it's like, well, hang on a second, uh, how is this lowbrow and trashy and not valid? Mm-hmm. The ways in which you sexualize actresses all the time and in other instances. yeah ways in film or and how you present them to the media how is that not trashy how is that any different um so it's like this is acceptable because you make the rules for this one this side of it but if you've got people being entrepreneurial and making their own way and enjoying
2: themselves yeah making the rules themselves then it's not that's a little bit what it feels like um yeah so it's a funny it's a funny i don't know the answer to it to be honest and you don't have to have the answer this afternoon. No, We're just I, having a chat. <laughs> and I try, not to be, I try not to be, you know, I'm definitely not ashamed. Definitely not. But I do sometimes find myself like unsure if I should mention it or, you know, hoping that they won't look at that first. And then, you mm. know, like, for instance, a casting director. But I've heard mixed. I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard, yeah, from casting directors that I've had one-to-ones with through lockdown, which has been really, really informative. Um, mm. But yeah, if they saw that first, they might make a a snap decision that they, they can't see past it but others have said oh but it could be am- amazingly useful if I was looking for that sort of thing but that then falls into that is that just going to be typecast forever then? yeah like a uh, same thing um so my my hopes were just to keep the two separate and link them when needs yeah
1: and I think that's a sensible yep. strategy, but I think there's certainly something to be said for casting directors. Some casting directors, there's loads of brilliant mm-hmm. ones out there, but some of them can be a wee bit myopic in terms mm-hmm. of like, oh, I can't see you in that role because you you you're gonna you've put yeah. on weight or you've lost weight or you've got a beard or you don't have a beard or whatever it is. It's like
2: it's it's acting, it's pretend. It's like a, it's well, exactly. I can do whatever yeah. you want. Like, yeah, exactly. I understand the, the face or the person, the way that they appear is of immediate interest or not and i get that but i mean when it comes down to like just general styling it yeah. can all change and i'm not Absolutely. just like 24 7 a showgirl that's <laughs> definitely not <there. laughs> you know? that
1: would be exhausting
2: yeah. <laughs> yes it would
1: but yeah and i think it's uh, that i think that ties back to uh, loads of ways in which our industry can be a bit problematic in terms of how it perceives not just women but people in general and the, and the boxes that uh, we can all get put in. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen that um, uh, video that did the rounds with uh, Gemma Arterton and um, and Amelia Clark, and it's the yes, doing the audition, the audition for the leading lady, yeah. And it's yeah. it's that I think it comes from it's the same thing. It's uh making as well, well, if mean, is a character that you play yeah. occasionally, and they're yes. making assumptions about what you your CV and what you're capable of doing based on one yeah. part of it,
2: and that's yeah wrong. Exactly, Infinite. and it's just just look like just look just tiny bit like you know further just to see that i i can do other things but it's that initial you really literally get a split second before they say like before they decide yes or no so it's just trying to yeah yeah not always have them make that decision immediately on on first view yeah basically well but yeah no that um that thing you were just saying that video it's it was hilarious and devastating all at the same time
1: oh yeah (laughs) I think it spoke to every one of us who try and carve out a career in this industry it was just like you have to laugh so you don't cry
2: (laughs) yeah you can't do right for doing wrong (laughs) but you are also a
1: businesswoman as well I am you're an entrepreneur um yes can you tell us a little bit about that because that's very exciting especially in this lockdown moment as someone who's able to carve out so many different paths for yourself um I think that's really exciting
2: yes well I've um I've just always not wanted to I suppose just not. I wanted to have a a nine-to-five and I've not <laughs> wanted to do that and does? um yeah I'm just a bit you know I want to create the work whatever it is and the performance world is my ideal but you can't you can't always do that you know sometimes it's just yeah. dry it's just a quiet time um so my second interest, my second passion is, um, clothing. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Clothing. Oh, so yes. it's vintage clothing and, um, you know, historical clothing. That's what I love. Um, clothing for performance still was like my main interest. So, um, uh, my degree that I ended up doing was at Edinburgh College of Art and it was performance costume for theatre and film. Amazing. So still within the industry. Um, it taught me a lot about other things while I was learning about how the industries work um, in the costume departments. And when I graduated, I realised, you know, I don't want to work in in costume in film and television. It was really interesting to find out about it, mm. but it's, it wasn't really where I wanted to be. Um But it taught me other things like dating, um, you know, cuts and styles, fabrics, uh, all that sort of stuff. That's a simple thing that you have to learn straight away. So it made me very good at buying um, sort of thing, period or vintage clothing whenever I saw it. And I would find them because I'm always hunting in (laughs) vintage shops and flea markets, charity shops, you know, car boot sales, whatever. I'm always that's my that's my pleasure that's my <laughs> personal play and um yeah I just kept finding a lot of interesting things not for me particularly so I started buying and reselling when I was at uni um just you know on eBay back in the day that's what I would do and when I met my husband I moved down south so I live in Cheltenham now where he's from and I had to carve a sort of thing for myself because nobody knew who I was here and I was Mm. starting again with everything with you know and getting a different agent because my agent was in Scotland I needed something here and then trying to well I ended up producing my own show down here because there wasn't anything in this area things like that and my husband's really sort of into vintage as well and we ended up um deciding yeah that we would try and open a little online vintage Business selling and um we did that and we did that for almost five years and then two years ago we opened a physical shop so which exciting. was <laughs> exciting and the scariest thing I've ever done <laughs> like like I'm talking like financial fear that was yeah. terrifying. um but it's been really worth it it's been amazing we're so it turned two during lockdown and I mean it's really not the best time to be having a physical shop right now. Yeah, I can imagine. And we're hanging on by the skin of our teeth. Um online is amazing. It's, you know, keeping everything going and I'm very grateful for it right now because it is a second business. It's my side hustle, but at the moment it's really taken the you know, the weight of everything right now. So, having both has been amazing even though sometimes I've questioned my sanity about why I am doing this and everything else. But yeah. Well, you run two businesses.
1: You run two. You've got the business of Kim, the actor, and the business, the brick and mortar business. That's,
2: yeah. That's it. Um, And uh, luckily I share that, that, that burden with with my husband. Um, So if I do get some opportunities that just come, you know, like, and I've got to disappear for a week or a month or something like that, he takes it. He takes the reins. And that is the only way that I could do that. It's mm -hmm. the only way that I could do that business because otherwise it would just fall apart if I got busy. And similar, because he's a musician. If he got something, a tour or something interesting, then I hold the fort and we, you know what I mean? We just yeah. sort of make it work. Yeah. It's great.
1: And um, where can people find the business online? Tell the people. Okay.
2: So, <laughs> so the shop is called Malone's Vintage. So I was riding the coattails of the, the old Missy Malone there because uh, <laughs> she's quite um, quite known in the vintage world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is has a physical shop we have we have a physical shop in Cheltenham um right in the city centre well town centre of Cheltenham um and it's just called Malone's Vintage and online it's www.malonesvintage.co.uk and we have an online store and we have an Instagram and all that jazz where we buy and sell to people who are not near the shop so yeah we can yeah, You've got some, some beautiful
1: things. things in there. I follow I follow you myself and uh, I've been you. wanting to buy things, but they're very rarely vintage things in my size, but that's okay. That's how it goes, <laughs> yeah, that's that, how it goes that, sometimes.
2: <laughs> that's the heartbreak. It's like one, you only get one of everything really that yeah. you find. And, and the fact of the matter is, I say quite often is, everybody goes, oh, vintage is tiny. It is generally because people were smaller. The diets were mm. bad. People were different kinds of, support underwear everything was smaller waists were smaller feet were smaller um but we do get all sizes they just they go uh, quick quick. yeah yeah if they're more modern yeah absolutely
1: i saw online as well something i thought was really cool um maybe you can talk a bit more about this that you're you're branching that um side of the business out into styling i think i saw something you styled a a a wedding or was it a piece about a vintage wedding was that something you're doing um,
2: yeah, so, so since having the shop um, and people can physically see, you know, the amount of things that we have, mm-hmm. then we were approached... I've been approached by a few different um, publications or photographers or things like that who want to put together an editorial, you know, sort of photo or fashion editorial for, for magazines. And I've been hired as a stylist for a few which was really good fun and it sort of was more like what I did at uni so it was like Mm. styling use but yeah using vintage um clothing but most of the briefs were to make it still current so it's vintage but like to be could be worn today in a way by people who maybe don't wear strict vintage so you can mix and match your vintage and whatever so working to a brief um which I enjoyed that was like uni Um, sourcing or putting together things which was like uni and um, yeah putting a collection together which I really enjoyed so that has become a branch of the shop um, which is available the styling side because we we can offer styling or we can hire to other stylists Um, and because at the moment people are really really aware of how they're shopping so sustainability mm-hmm. eco issues um just how bad fast fashion is how yeah. bad it is um the, the idea that oh, complete photo shoots and really nice nice layouts for editorial magazines can be achieved with clothes that have had like lifespans, like yeah. you know that have been around since the 40s Um, but look current because of the way you style it It, Mm. it's like trying to just show people different ways of of wearing vintage and shopping basically so shopping sustainably so that's what I've marketed the styling branch as we only style using vintage secondhand recycled or handmade items that's all I use when I style so there's a lot of stylists in the world and they do their thing I'm not interested in doing that but if you want if you want my input that's how I would do it that's so amazing. that is another thing that I didn't really <laughs> think that just sort of happened it just fell into place
1: it's so it's it's so brilliant though like I made a wee note as you were talking there um you said yeah. create the work and you said that a couple of times and mm. I think that's why you're such a an impressive and fascinating person to talk to for our podcast create the work seems to be your ethos whether it's as an actor um as a burlesque and cabaret performer as a model as a businesswoman that has been what's allowed you to be a freelance self-sustaining artist for yeah. mo- well pretty much your entire adult life really yeah and it's mm-hmm. so and i totally get like as actors in particular we're always told why don't you write something why don't you make it i totally get that that's not in everyone's uh, remit and it's hard not everyone can write for example but mm-hmm. there's something about what you do and what you present to the world is like playing to your strengths like you mm-hmm. have found what you love, what you're good at, really easily, and then just really maximise yeah,
2: that. Like what you just said there. Um, the you know I do I do hear that said. Like write your own things, write your own things. I, I couldn't write to save my own life. I I'm I'm very dyslexic, and I find reading and writing difficult. So that's not an option for me. But I'm very visual so I've always had an artistic flair and that was my own you know um strength but that's all I had really was I was you know I was always good at drawing and I come from a creative sort of artistic family who have natural artistic talent but not in the performing sense and yeah so the the work that the only kind of work that I feel confident in creating is visual so Mm. whether it's whether it's styling or performing in different areas of performance or modeling or whatever it is it's it's always visual um I wish I could write I wish I could do all that but I can't so yeah
1: I mean that's the thing like um I've had over the years loads of conversations related to that and I think it's just it's, it's sort of insulting in a way to just say that as off the cuff as if it's easy. It's insulting mm. to people who are writers who knock yeah. their head, like knock their planning okay. in and knock yeah. their heads off the wall trying to pull something yeah. together. And yes. it's just like, it's not always feasible, but there's something in like, well, what what are you passionate about and what maybe could you could you do? And, and finding collaborators, I think, is really important as well. Like you've got a really good collaborative relationship yeah. with um, a filmmaker, Ruth Paxton, is that right? Yes, yes, female Scottish
2: um, filmmaker, Wonder Woman. Um, and <laughs> She is amazing. I fell on my feet with with my darling Ruth. Um, we met when we both went to Edinburgh College of Art. Um, she was the year above me. And we just met because it was a really funny thing, actually. It was somebody, a teacher there, well, not teacher because it's not school, a, an art tutor... Um, thought we would get on and did an introduction because he was like i think you two would hit it off both (laughs) of us immediately went oh my god i'm gonna hate her man because we didn't know like what what this was going to be it's like a blind date and he was a hundred percent right that's funny (laughs) i left home um so i was only just um 17 at that point i left home straight from my parents house and moved in with Ruth at that age until I met my husband and moved in with him <laughs> and uh, and we lived together in a house in Edinburgh all through our university you know years um, and she is a phenomenal filmmaker writer director she's phenomenal and award winning and just a force to be reckoned with and I had the joy the pleasure um, of working with her all through those period, that period of time where she was finding who she was as a filmmaker, as a writer, as a director, I lived with her and I was an actress. It was perfect. We just bounced <laughs> stuff. We tried all sorts of stuff. She pushed me as far as you can push a human person in film, and it helped me learn because I wasn't trained. So mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of my training came from working with her and us figuring out how how you act and how you direct. It was both of us together and I've, i I wrote it down because I want you to know how many how many films we've done <laughs> it's one two three four five six seven eight films wow and the most recent I can't say much about it um just two weeks ago was the last time I worked with her as an actress and her as a director um and it's a feature it's it's a feature that's what she's been working towards all these years mm. and it's I'm so excited I'm just so excited for her she I can't speak highly enough and you know it just so happens that she's also my best pal after all. <laughs> but, um, but yeah I she, you know she was a filmmaker before I met her so she's first and foremost an amazing amazing filmmaker and I'm just very lucky to you just sound like to to you're each my life. muses yeah well <laughs> yes I, th- I think I would say that yes
1: <laughs> that's that's lovely and so exciting uh for you both uh, that she's reached that sort of stage because it takes a long yeah. time to get what to feature it, level
2: I, yeah. yeah and just like navigating life in between yeah. um it really can throw you off the rails so it's like oh I'm just so delighted to see everything coming together mm-hmm. basically
1: so let's talk a little bit more about the acting. Um, how are you yes. finding everything at the moment? I know it's. I, I know. Let's not talk COVID because that's just no. we all know where we're at with that, and it's so depressing. Yeah. And oh god. Yes. But let's talk about Kim Chapman, the actress, yes. and, and your hopes and dreams for her, and how it's all been going prior to lockdown and navigating yep. that world uh, with Missy Malone yep. parked. Yes, parked.
2: Yes, she's definitely parked because there's no stages open. Um, <laughs> Poor Missy. Yeah. No, no do you know what as you know I'm not going to go into the COVID thing because it's it's a big cloud um but I've had a lot of time to do some work which I I mean on the acting on my on my acting like just polishing up stuff that Mm. little things that you're like oh yeah I will do that and then you know you never get around to it or whatever so I've really tried to take the time to just get better at what I do and it's like again I always felt the need to apologize that I wasn't trained Mm -hmm. as an actor and what I've really come to sort of accept during lockdown was that it doesn't matter like I'm doing all right you know what I mean and it's like I it's not that I haven't gone to courses and I haven't done lots of stuff it's just I I never went to university that that was it to do it It just what didn't happen for me I didn't have the the options to do those things and um but what I did do in lockdown which I couldn't recommend enough really is I took every single opportunity that was like free and available online yeah um I've listened to I don't know how many podcasts of like directors casting directors actors coaches voice coaches uh, agent like whoever's talking (laughs) I'm listening and um it started with um right at the beginning of lockdown on Spotlight, um, they did the one-to-ones. Yeah. And I signed up for the first one and you know, was delighted to get to speak to cast and director um, one-to-one. And it's your 50-minute slot. They look at your pro- profile. They give you quick feedback. And it was so unbelievably useful and mm. that I made a point of then searching out who else was doing one-to-ones, who else was doing um, live question and answers? And I, I joined as many as I could. And I have a little book now of like each person that I've listened to, casting director, director, writer, actor, whoever. And then I've just, you know, made points of what they said that really sort of stuck with me. And it's little insights into the, the industry that I really didn't know before. And it's mm. like, because people were letting go of little nuggets of information. What? what they like, what they like to see. And it's things that I never considered are really simple things. Or just like, you know, I always, I think, I think I just always tried too hard with my presentation. And it's not that it doesn't have to be, but it's like, don't overwhelm, just keep it nice and simple and just, you know, you're put your clearly what you are and who you are. And mm-hmm. don't, you know, and that's where the sort of separation has begun, where I'm just trying to keep it simple, easy to understand um so those were great the online things I, I just they kept me going and I looked forward to them you know I had <laughs> there was one week where I had something every single evening when I was watching something my agent he jumped on the the um same sort of bandwagon quite early and his was his, his um so he did question and answer was just for the actors within his agency mm-hmm. so they were like private for us and they were so great because it's all the actors in his books who I, you know, haven't met most of them, but now I've seen their faces and I've heard them speak and I feel more connected to the, the group that I'm currently in. That's and nice. and he held things that weren't just about acting. It was like about mental health issues. He has a daughter who works in the NHS in the mental health um, sort of side of things. And she did a presentation about how especially tailored towards actors and like what they might be going through right now or Amazing. but also things like handling rejection and like things like that are common things or mm-hmm. you know anxiety about things and all this stuff and it was so interesting so I found that brilliant as for acting like what I've been doing myself I've been like I've got a couple of monologues that I use but I've tried to learn a couple more I've been oh yeah and self-tape instruction things I've been watching <laughs> I've been trying to do them better mm-hmm. and since mm-hmm. I've tried a few of the tips and things that I've that I've watched people talk about my cast uh, my self-tape callback amount has definitely changed and it's better I know as well that's probably because there's a lot more Well, self-taping is is the thing right now. That's the thing. It's like everybody has to do it now. But I feel like, yeah, it has improved my overall taping, which is great. And, um, yeah, just polishing up. And, you know, I didn't didn't think an actor maybe would have needed a a social media unless you were a famous actor. But I've heard otherwise. So, you know, just building a small Instagram that's focused on that, that because I've heard since that, you know, casting directors do Google, they do check Instagram, they do want to know who you are. And what so you're saying. Is, and what you're... Well, yeah, and yep. what you're about. And yep. I, you know, I really didn't think about that sort of thing. So those things, I'm just taking in the information, basically. Well, it's then, an ongoing thing, isn't
1: yeah. it? It's a life's work. You have to constantly... Yep.
2: Be ch- like moving with the time, basically. Yep. And And then finally to that... You know, I had a a little, um, yeah, like little role in Ruth's um, feature, which filmed two weeks ago. So that was an actual COVID, like current um, production, like on location during this time. So that with the COVID guidelines and with the safety stuff and testing before, and you know, temperature checks through the day, and separation, and masks until God. They're rolling like you have to do rehearsal with it on everything and it was like insane insane sort of experience but I'm just very grateful to have been on a set like <laughs> at all the yeah. amount of people that are not able to get anywhere near anything right now is um for you know n- numerous reasons because they aren't because it isn't available but also some people have health conditions yeah. and can't work right now because it's not safe for them and stuff like that it's I'm just Feeling like I don't have a lot to complain about, you know, in the scheme of things.
1: And it's um, it's frightening because I feel like this is the future for a long time. Yeah. I think this yeah. is what we're just going to have to get used to, um, yeah. and that you know is going to be frustrating and a bit upsetting in some ways, like the f- being on set and all of those ways in which we're going to have to change the way we work. But yeah. I think the reliance on self tapes is going to change, which I think might be an improvement because actually. Well, I-
2: Yeah, I was quite sort of secretly happy about it because um, my agent was pushing me for things that were often Scottish productions and I don't currently live in Scotland. So I will, of course, I will run as fast as I can to Scotland (laughs) for whatever you need me for. But, you know, literally if they went, oh, can you be here like tomorrow, whatever, it was like, oh. So if the taping can happen first... And then, you know, if they're more sure that it's like, oh yeah, you should definitely come and see us, then mm-hmm. then definitely, of course. But it sort of helps. And from what I've heard from cast and directors, they've just said it, it means a lot more people have the opportunity to be seen. Yeah, Because if they're hiring a room and they have this amount of time to see people, you're only going to see that amount of people, 10 people or whatever it is with the amount of time you have. But you could see double the amount of people, triple the amount of people with tapes because mm. they just go through them quicker so i think it's opening up the opportunities to be seen for yeah for a lot of actors so i don't think it's a bad thing i just think oh, you have I to agree. get tap- taping nailed basically
1: yeah and yeah. uh you know i think it's now forcing our industry to have the conversation which it was aware was, they were aware it was needed but were ignoring mm-hmm. it which is the actors and freelancers can't afford to be hopping the megabus every two minutes for an audition or even worse just a coffee come and have a coffee and a chat with a casting director or an agent or a producer and then nothing comes of it but you've spent 275 mm-hmm. quid going from scotland to, get it. to london mm-hmm. overnight and it's just ludicrous and it's exposing that as a completely failed uh, way of working, and or yeah. well, failed for the people who are at the sharp end of it, which is the broke actors and freelancers. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's got to be a good thing because now you can't yeah. really argue that you can do the self tape thing first, and then yeah, like you say, if there's a real tangible opportunity there, then yeah, then
2: you're going to make that you're going to make that leap. That's mm-hmm. it. If, if they've seen your tape and you know they ask you maybe for a second one and then they're like oh actually we'd like to see you in person then you have hope and you have you're closer to that rather than the amount of times the amount of times I've gone to London and I've spent money like you say to go and it's literally five minutes in and out and I know by the look on their face I'm not right at all Mm. um and it would have probably been obvious pretty quickly on a tape (laughs) yeah. <laughs> it would have saved a lot of time and effort and money yeah but you know i don't know i'm hoping the taping thing is is the way forward um to narrow things down until yeah. um in person things when they're a bit more sure and everybody's a bit more sure so yeah that can um, a good thing.
1: i would like to return to something you said because i think it's all related because yeah. you you talked about how you didn't train and how you felt like that was some form of like shame or something you didn't want to address because I think that's really important and it comes back against something you said about you know growing up in a small town in Scotland and not having a lot of money and I think there's something so important to be addressed in that conversation about how our industry does rely on sort of a certain amount of elitism and opportunity for people who had uh, access to expensive drama schools or um, you know uh, or you know know people in the industry through virtue of family connection or whatever and I think it's really important to note that you don't need to go to a big fancy drama school to to do this job um and that actually and I found this particularly in the the years after I because I did train you know I fell into that like I have to go and train and that's what I need to do and to be quite honest in the years since I graduated I'm like it doesn't matter they don't really care Because I, because I didn't go to like Juilliard or, or Mm. or, or now known or Guildhall or whatever, the big, the big hitters, you don't really care. And it's actually the work that you're doing after you graduate that becomes important. That's the, that's where the real training begins, I think. Um,
2: That's it. That's quite, I, 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 I've seen a shift in the last couple of years in attitude for the better. Um, but it's still clinging on in sort of little areas of of the industry and one real clear one that stuck with me because i wasn't trained and when i was younger that was definitely a thing to be you know not don't mention it just like hope that they don't ask you um and wonderful lovely ruth you know she just kept saying throughout she was like i don't care what you say you're very good at what you do and it's like it's natural and it's not you know forced and it doesn't look like it's been produced by a school or something it's it's just good and she would constantly tell me you know names of other actors that were untrained like so that I felt better about myself which is Mm -hmm. amazingly lovely of her and a lot of the films that I've I've worked with on her have amazing leads you know like Martin Compston was in one with with me and he was also an untrained actor scouted and it's like look where he is you know it's like yeah. there's great great people there um doing what you do and obviously I'm not saying you don't have to do any work at all you, sh- you should still of course, try yeah. to up your game but the going to uni isn't an option for a lot of people yeah um, exactly it's not an option and um what I did find difficult for a few years was when I needed to get a spotlight mm. Um, the spotlight criteria. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's changed now or not. But it was that you needed to have trained somewhere within their particular um, stated places of training, mm-hmm. or you had to have. I can't remember how many professional credits, which That's couldn't true. include. Yeah, I think it's four. Is isn't it four. Yeah, Ay and it's, and it can't include short film, and it can't include adverts, and it can't include. So it had to be feature film, <laughs> theatre. And it's like, you're thinking about these like young actors that are like, okay, yeah, so yeah, I've got lots of speaking roles in feature films. Like, like you know what I mean? I'd done a lot of short films by the time I was applying. Yeah. With, you know, starring opposite, Martin Compton and various people and lead roles, you know, in these films, award-winning, best short at the London Film Festival. like, a, And it still didn't count. And then somebody said to me, oh, you know, Judy Dench could be in a short film and that wouldn't count as a credit for her. Like either. and it seems totally and utterly ridiculous. Um and then you know, I was speaking to people and they're going, well, you have to create your own theatre work to to do that and all that sort of stuff. And I, you know, I wasn't a writer and I couldn't do that, so I just had to keep knuckling down until mm-hmm. I had enough, until I had enough credits to get my spotlight and let me into spotlight, you know, castings and stuff. And have an agent because most agents want you to have a spotlight and all this sort of stuff. And it is very restricting. And I just, I'm like a dog with a bone and I won't give up, but there's a lot of people <laughs> who I don't know if they have, you know, if that, it's just a big barrier. Yeah. If you don't have a special. And I, and I thought about it, I thought, well, what if you did study at that place? And what you just get to immediately tick the box and then you're in and you've not done anything. Yeah. And somebody else has went and done all this experience. It doesn't count. And it's, it's, you know, I'm a bit long
1: in the tooth now and mm. I've sort of, you know, I've had so many conversations, like after I graduated, one of the the lecturers at my drama school, which was an American one. So I don't think they'll hear this so I can say mm. it. Um, <laughs> you know, they basically told me that they, they admit some people because of fees. Like there's certain mm. classes where they're like, oh yeah, that, that, they, they, this is the talented bunch. This is the good looking bunch. And these people, they're just paying their okay. fees yeah they're rich people they're people with rich families and I was mm-hmm. like right so what you're telling me here is that it, particularly if spotlight operates on the if you've went to an accredited drama school you're in but so those people will graduate from an accredited drama school but they have no talent according yes. to you they're just here to pay pay the lucky bill sorry
2: yeah yeah no it's, just it's like what yeah. <laughs> that's what I've been you know that's what's gone round in my head for years and it just seems like a very uneven playing field mm-hmm. for underprivileged people. And but but the saving grace in this whole conversation is current casting directors and relevant casting directors and edgy, cutting you know the forefront of interesting things that are being made right now. Don't care where you've yeah. been, and, they, and that's what they're saying, loud and clear, they're shouting it, they're like, I don't care if you're trained or not, I just want to see, and if you're, if you're what I want, that's fine, doesn't yeah. matter, it impress me particularly, you know, experience is always good, that's what they do, like, you know, sometimes, not always, but no, it doesn't do it, like, it doesn't make you automatically better Yeah. to them, and that's what I've had to just keep telling myself, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. So... And I think it's been a really good moment, like you say, all of the stuff that's been happening online since lockdown happened, um, it's given casting directors and agents time to actually have a wee bit of focus and put their message Mm -hmm. out there onto social media because, you know, we know that they're so unbelievably busy all the time that um, they haven't had that opportunity before. So it has, I found it, like yourself, immensely useful to hear directly from them. This is how I approach it. This is what I'm looking for or or generally my attitude on
2: things. To say it and then then we can actually understand mm-hmm. what it is and and also not worry so much about some of the things that I certainly found myself worrying about actually haven't been as big a deal as I thought mm-hmm. when you actually think of them so
1: yeah as freelancers as well particularly actors because it's such an isolated lonely job in so many ways because you are you are your own office and and brand and yeah. your work you know it's very easy to sit alone in your room with uh, you know maybe a slew of rejections from auditions thinking is it me and just spiraling into like mm-hmm. I'm obviously rubbish I'm doing something wrong yeah. because you've got no sort of sounding board like you're, you're not in an office full of other actors going no it's fine that, this is why yeah, that happened it's, it's not yeah. you <laughs> so yeah uh, in a weird way I found the lockdown moment being useful to to hear those voices and to hear that reassurance yes. it's been good in that yes. way yeah got to find the positives mate you've got to find
2: them yes yeah. well, i have, i have definitely found a few in the in the in the murk. there's definitely been some good moments of clarity regarding stuff that i didn't understand in this industry because it's yeah people have had a chance to talk mm-hmm. digitally but therefore i've managed to see it i've managed to I haven't had to go there to to hear them speak it's like it's been more accessible than ever yeah.
1: Um, so right. I'm I'm really gutted because we're coming up towards the end of our yeah. hour. But um, <laughs> I was going to give you the opportunity for you give you the opportunity to chat about anything you've got coming up, or if you want people to follow you on social media, uh, yeah. anything you want to shout out about.
2: Now is the time. The <laughs> time. Well, what have I got? Um, I'd love it if people came and joined me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Kim Chapman, actor. Um, my burlesque and cabaret if people are more interested in having a look at that is missy malone on instagram facebook um, and we have a touring show which currently is on hold um, mm. until next april and that's depending on what the world's doing and of course uh, social distancing within theatres and it's a theatre uh, review that tours around the uk um so i don't really know for sure but that's where the information about that would be um, and then if you're interested in vintage uh, goodies then it's malonesvintage.co.uk and that's basically all I have to say the the most recent thing that I've worked on the feature film that I'm not allowed to say anything about so it's not <laughs> a big interesting plug um, I'm assuming will be out next year um, so I'll shout about it on my acting page when I'm allowed to
1: Fabulous. People can see you, though. Like, If I'm not very much mistaken, people can see you die horribly in Game of Thrones. Oh, you can,
2: yeah. (laughs) If you're a Game of Thrones uh, fan, don't blink in the penultimate episode and look for a woman in a very bad way and you'll find me there. Um, uh, What else? Oh, yeah, and my my most recent TV appearance was um, on BBC One's The Pale Horse, um, Mm -hmm. which screened in February, and I I don't know if it's still on the iPlayer. It was a two-part um Agatha Christie uh, adaptation and it was awesome I loved it the styling of the whole thing was brilliant it was very dark Rufus Soul was the lead um he's very easy on the eyes to watch so I enjoyed it very much and I funnily enough played a showgirl called Rita so it was sort of art imitating life um (laughs) and I yeah I was crossing both of my brands there you go it can happen So that's on iPlayer, Pale Horse, first, I think I'm in the first and second, but my, yeah, main bit's in the first, first episode. So
1: exciting. Um, That's amazing. Uh, It's been an absolute joy to chat to you. Uh, It's, uh, you're a very inspiring person and uh, yeah, it's been so fascinating to hear about all the different things that you do and your brilliant attitude to to all of it,
2: create the work, you know? Yeah. that's
1: it um, yeah
2: well thank you so much for having me it's been a joy and it's been lovely to speak to you I know it's been so lovely to speak to you too (laughs) um I have one last thing before we completely
1: close uh we ask all of our podcast guests this question um and it's just it's not the answers are different every time it's completely up to you how you interpret it but as you know our podcast is called Persistent and Nasty the reason we called it that it's a combination of um, the moment in time when Elizabeth Warren uh, had that moment where she persisted on her issue and it came into the media nevertheless she persisted and Mm -hmm. uh, the 2016 uh, electoral campaign in America when Trump was using the word nasty to describe Hillary so it was a kind Mm -hmm. of little tongue-in-cheek reclaiming of those words Um, and we ask all our guests what does persistent and nasty mean to you when you hear it? When you see it written down, what does it mean? What do you think? Th-
2: to me, it to me because yeah, I understand where it's come from. Powerful, I find it empowering. Um, I'd like to think that I am persistent and also nasty. Um, all of my career choices would tick both of those boxes. It's yeah, just keep pushing to keep pushing to be heard as a woman especially i can only talk coming you know as a woman myself that's all i can speak for and just don't stop pushing yeah the issue that you're passionate about um and don't worry if you're nasty <laughs> like if somebody thinks you're nasty it's it's not a bad thing um a lot of people you know it's that you know something for everyone it's not for everyone but don't let them and their um views on what you are or what you do impact how you feel um as long as you feel good about it that's what i would say
1: that's brilliant thank you so much again absolute joy to talk to you uh thank you for listening folks uh we've been chatting to the wonderful kim chapman Um, and until next time stay
2: nasty